to be here. Wilson Burton has been the chairman of our board for our nonprofit for 20 years. I want to give him a huge hand for that. It's just amazing. He's our perpetual board chairman. We have some information that's still going to be distributed. Uh, whenever I go to a luncheon, I always have a business card. I guess you guys do that here. On uh, Y'all are Yankees. No, I'm the Yankee. I'm from Hendersonville. So anyway, uh, we always just give a card. So you're getting a card, and it tells you where you can find our television show. And then I don't have to answer that question uh, afterwards about 50 times. And then uh, the other thing is our new website, which is a teaching website. And uh, it's, a, it's a base camp for both outdoorsmen and anybody who wants to do a, a serious deep dive in Bible study. So that's what that is. I want you to say hello to my friends as well. My children, they're traveling today, and they all wanted to, my, my son-in-laws and my son wanted to be here, and they couldn't. So if y'all just wave at them and say good morning or something like that, on the count of three, one, two, three. There you go, good morning. All right. Enough of that. How many of you have a dog? I have two now, down to two. What about a cat? They don't count. Uh, what about horses? Anybody? Very intelligent group here. Um, spouse? Children? Grandchildren? Any alive parents? All right. What about a best friend? Okay. And last but not least, do, are you either an employer or an employee? Okay. Now, I could ask that in one question. How many of you have a relationship with a living being? And what I'm going to share with you this morning is, I guess you could call it advice or a suggestion that I think will enhance every single relationship that you have. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, it's going to be probably the most radical thing you've ever heard, and you're going to be tempted to walk out before I get through. So if you will make a deal with me and promise me that you'll withhold your judgment until I finish and then if you never invite me back into the county again, so be it. That's just the way it is. That's, I'll, I'm willing to handle that. But this is going to be very radical. Are you all willing to make that arrangement with me? Okay, here goes. I'm going to start by telling you a story about a man that was going to retire at the age of 38 as a very, very high multimillionaire. Now, a lot of us would have loved to have done that, but we've already way past that, right? How'd this guy do it? Well, there's... Rumor got out that at his retirement banquet, he's going to reveal his secret for success. And so everybody wanted to show up. All the Fortune 500 company presidents were flying in on their jets. The major nets, uh, news networks were uh, coming in, and they're going to capture it on their cameras. And, of course, the publishing houses were all competing for this guy's book because they were thinking this is going to be the number one New York Times best-selling business book in history, probably. It's going to be like one of those Jim Collins books, Built to Last. And so they all wanted that contract, and everybody else was there. The governor was there. It was just an amazing night. The meal was good. The dessert was better than the, the, even the meal. And then finally it came time for them to roast the guy. And they had a comedian there, and uh, he sang Frosted the Snowman and then roasted the guy and all this kind of stuff. It was really good. And finally it came his time to take the podium. And in his humble way, he got up and thanked everyone for what an amazing night that it was. And he thanked everyone for their uh, their love for him and their belief in him. And he said, now I know that many of you came not to hear me ramble on about such matters, but you've come to hear my secret for success. And I'm ready to give it now. 
before everyone's set up straight. And back in the day, we'd have been licking our pencils and getting out our little pad of paper, but of course now they all the phones came out, they're recording everything, the LED lights came on on the cameras in the back. Everyone was so excited, they didn't care if it was going to take two hours for this man to reveal his amazing secret for success because they wanted to be just like him. So they were surprised when the man said only three simple one-syllable words. He said, my secret for success is this. And then some. He could tell that there was some confusion in the audience, just like I can right now. And so he went on to explain, he said, when I was in the first grade, somehow I got a hold of some teaching that taught me to do whatever is expected of me and then some. And I remember trying it on my first grade teacher when it came my turn every 30 days to actually have to take the trash out as everyone else got to go out to recess. And most people would get really mad about that. I remember I had. But I thought to myself, here's the great opportunity. So I emptied the trash. I put a new trash bag in the liner, as my mama taught me to do at home. And then I looked at her desk, and I noticed it was pretty disorganized. And so I organized her papers. I sharpened her pencils. I even took her apple and went and washed it and set it down on a nice, clean napkin. And when we came back in, the teacher came to her desk and said, who messed with my desk? And I was like cowering down, thinking I was going to be in trouble. And I timidly raised my hand, and she said, come up here. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this is bad. And she hugged me in front of the group and said, I have never in 10 years had any student to do what this young man just did. And the light bulb's going off in my head. This actually works. And I tried it at home and my mom said, pick up your dirty socks and your dirty underwear off the floor. I didn't just pick those up. I actually took out the trash from the bathroom. And one night after supper, I actually loaded the dishwasher. And my mom's looking at me like I had fever. She's feeling of my head. And you know, I begin to again realize this actually works. And I begin to apply this at school and every, in my ball teams and all these other places. And by the time I'm in the fifth grade, I was asked to be the school crossing guard. They usually give that to a sixth grader. And I was in the eighth grade. I played on the basketball team. And I remember it came down to the district semifinals and I got fouled with two seconds. And it was a one and one. And I, we were down by two points. I could have made both of them in tide. I missed the first one. We were knocked out of the district. My coach came to me and said, you know, during the offseason, you might want to work on your free throw shooting. I was not a good free throw shooter. So the next season, the same thing happened in one of the early games, and I missed it. And he said, would you be willing to stay after practice and shoot a, a few extra free throws every day? And I said, sure. Not only did I shoot a few, I would shoot as many as 50 to 100 free throws a day, every single day, not only after practice, but even on the ice outside of my, in my house. I'd wear my big hunting boots and still shoot those basketballs. And we got down to the district finals this time. And you're not going to believe it, but sure enough, I got fouled again, this time with about three seconds left, and we're only one point down, and it's a one-and-one. And, one. and I'll never forget, I took my form, I bounced the ball twice, I rolled it twice like this, caught it, made sure I had my, my gooseneck ready to go when I shot, just like that. And I looked up, and I, my mom told me later that all the cheerleaders and all the opposing fans were there waving coats, but I never saw it, never heard it. I just looked at that basket with great confidence and swish, first shot. Swish, second shot. It's the only time I've ever been carried off on anyone's shoulders. And when they had the sports banquet that spring, I was given this little trophy, I still have it, and it says on it, best free throw percentage shooter of the team, 
I realized this actually works in sports, and so I applied it to my school and to my grades. And when I was a senior in high school, I ran for student council president. Guess what my motto was? We're going to do whatever is expected of us. Say it with me. And then some. And I won that seat, and I put together a student council, and we did some really, truly amazing things. We're even covered by the local news. Spring break, we did some cool stuff for some homeless people. I applied it to my grades, and it went really well. And I ended up graduating valedictorian, and I got a scholarship, a full ride to the business school that I really wanted to go to. And I decided I'm going to apply this same principle at this business school as I've done in my life. And I did very well in college and also was the president of the student body there as well. And by the time I got to my senior year, and it was final time, I had clipped out of all of my tests. I'd already had, already had my A's made, didn't even have to take the final. So I had five days of, of school days that I had nothing to do. So I went to this particular professor that I really admired, and I said, sir, is there any topic that you've ever truly wanted to study deeply? Maybe even write a book on, but you haven't had the, the luxury and the time of, of doing that deep study of it. He said, yeah, actually, and he told me. So I went to the library. Now, this is back in the days when there were libraries that had a thing called a Dewey Decimal System. Does anyone remember that? The file cards? Yeah. And microfish? That's not something you catch and eat, actually. So I went and did all of that, and I had a, a lot of change, and I was using that copy machine. And I put together a folder about two inches thick, and that final uh, day of that week, I went to my professor. I knocked on his door, and, and he said, come in. And I said, sir, I, I just... Uh, took upon myself to do this for you, and I really hope it's a blessing to you. You've really blessed me. You're a great teacher. He opens it up and looks at it, and I saw a grown man that doesn't believe in crying cry. And he said, I have, he stood up. He said, I've never had anyone do something like this for me, ever. You're amazing. I will give you the best reference. I said, sir, I, I didn't do this for a reference. I just do it because I, I did it because I appreciate you. And he shook my hand and said, well, I'll give it to you anyway. You put me down anytime you want to. And I was hoping maybe someday he would come out with that book and it would be a world-changing book. I guess he, you, you won't be surprised when I tell you this guy graduated top of his class in college. And do we have any educators in here? Because I always need help with these Latin words. Um, there, it's, a, it's summa cum laude, cum laude, and what's that last? Magna, you got summa, then magnum, then cum laude. Of course, like guys like me and Wes Yoder just praise the Lord. We just got out of that place, you know. This guy graduates top of the class, and he gets his pick of the Fortune 500 companies. They're all offering him a job. And he goes into the boardroom to meet with the board of directors, two of whom have written the books that he actually studied in college. And he's kind of in awe, and they're telling him, here's your job expectations, and here's how many days you get off, and here's your vacation days. Here's how many, you have two secretaries that work for you. Here's your budget, yada, yada. You need to be at work at, you know, 9 in the morning, and you're off at 5 in the afternoon. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, I'm going to do whatever these people expect of me, say it with me, and then some. And I began to do that. And I made the decision I would come in about 30 minutes early, maybe stay 30 minutes late. Not too much because I don't want to be a workaholic. I need a social life. And besides, I'm dating this lady that's really, she was really amazing and really godly woman. I ended up marrying her and I decided to use the same philosophy with her in my marriage. I do whatever my wife expected of it. Say with me, guys. Come on. And then some. Yeah, when children came into the world, I did the same with them, began to coach Little League, began to actually tee ball first, and I did it with them. And, uh, you know, this guy was loved in his community because of that. And in his business, you're not going to believe what happened. I mean, this guy was excelling like crazy, way beyond, being promoted beyond those that had been there at that company far longer than he had. And so you're not going to be surprised when I tell you that he became the, the youngest 
president of a Fortune 500 company in the business world of America at the age of 29. And he led his team, his company, in such a way to do whatever the customer expected and then some. And finally, he came in one day and, and he said to his board, I want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to serve you and, and to lead this company. You probably could have found someone that could have done a much better job, but I appreciate the opportunity. But here's my resignation. I'm not unhappy. Couldn't be more happy. But I feel like if I don't start my own retail business now, which is a dream I've always had, then I'm never going to do it. Boy, they didn't want to accept that resignation. But they had to. I mean, this was a guy that would even come in and, and say to his two secretaries, I don't have uh, anything to do for the next 15 minutes. I, you know, he, this guy would eat his lunch there instead of going out. And he'd have his Bible study, and he's done in 40, 50, 45 minutes. He's still got 15 minutes. How can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? Can you imagine how much he was loved because of that? He used that same philosophy with everyone. And so here he is now offering his resignation, and they don't want to take it. But they have to, and he starts his own retail business. It's a store, and he hires college students. He says, we're going to do whatever the customer expects of us, and then some. And it was successful, and he took the proceeds, started a second, a third. He went statewide. It went nationwide. It even jumped international. He sold it at the age of 38 for an amazing sum of money to retire as a way up there high multimillionaire. Now, at that point, he said, I guess you're wondering where I got this bit of wisdom for life. Maybe you think I listened to that giant guy, Tony Robbins. He got his CDs. Not, not, not where is that? Maybe you think I got one of those old Zig Ligler books or Norman Vincent Peale books. It's not where I got it. And with that, he reached over. He pulled out a book. This one just happens to be mine. And he said, I actually found this in the Bible. And it's in the second part of the Bible, in the part called the New Testament. And the very first book is called Matthew. And Matthew records in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus' greatest sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 5, verse 41, it literally says this, and these are Jesus' words, If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In other words, you do whatever's expected of you, now you finish it, and then some. I told you it was radical, didn't I? I mean, <laughs> wow. You talk about radical. That is crazy. Some of you are probably thinking about leaving right now, aren't you? You're like, no, that's not radical. Are you kidding me? I mean, all I got to do is pull the car over. Somebody's tire blew out. I'll just take him down a mile. No big deal. Do that in a minute. We don't even have a clue unless we look at the historical context and do a deep dive of what it was really like when Jesus said those words. How many of you remember the 1960s? Or maybe I should ask it this way. How many of you lived in the 1960s? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you remember who we were scared of back then? I was born in 61, and I remember these fallout shelter signs, the, the yellow signs. They often had them in grocery stores, but if we get hit by an atomic bomb, we're supposed to go there, right? Grocery stores have a glass front. I never did figure that one out. School drills. In school, we're having a bomb drill and you would get under your desk, right? That's gonna really do a lot of good if an atom bomb goes off, you know? But it's because we were afraid that this particular country was gonna come in and take us over. I was invited to go to this country 
uh, a few years ago and speak. The, the minister of religion said, we're having a real problem with our teenagers and their morals. Would you come and teach on the Ten Commandments? So I actually went to Donetsk, Ukraine, old Russia. And I spoke from Lenin's palace, from Lenin's podium for two weeks, from eight in the morning until eight at night. It was amazing. Absolutely wore me out, thought I was going to die, but it was amazing. And while I was there, I was using a translator and I, and I said to many people my own age, I said, when I was a little boy, I would lie in my bunk bed in Arkansas and I would pray about you Russians, now Ukrainians. And I would pray that God would not let you come and take over our country. And then I learned about the Sermon on the Mount, how I'm supposed to pray for you. And I begin to pray for you. And I think it's amazing that now in my adult life, I am praying with you. See the change in prepositions? Well, after I got through speaking that night, I was bombarded by about 60 people pressing me. And they're all like talking at the same time. And my translator's like, whoa, whoa, just slow down, slow down. And, and he said, they're all saying the same thing. They, they did the same thing about America when they were in the 60s. But let's make it more contemporary. Let's not act as if Russia comes in and takes us over. What if ISIS does? What if ISIS figures out a way to take over Tennessee and hold it captive and hold it for ransom in such a way that even the federal government cannot do anything about it? And ISIS puts in some laws and they bind you that you have to work for them, let's say an hour, whenever they choose to come in and make you work. They could walk in here right now and say, you got to work an hour for me and you have to work for ISIS. How many of you would like that? Nobody? Well, see, that's the context. Rome had taken over Palestine and Galilee. They had taken over the Jewish people's country. And whenever they would take over a country, they would build an archway. We still have one of those in Rome. It's called the Arch of Titus. And they would make you the citizen of that country, march underneath that archway, which would bind you under what they called the yoke of Rome. So that if an official Roman on business came to you, whatever you're doing, you could be in your wedding and they say, hey, you come and go a mile with me. You would have to pick up their bags and carry them one mile. Would you like that? The Jews hated that law so much, and they hated the Romans so much, that from their place of living and their place of business, they would literally step off 5,280 feet, drive a peg on the side of the road with their name on it, so that they would not have to take one step past that mile. So how do you think Jesus' uh, statement is going to ring in the ears of those listening to the Sermon on the Mount? When he says the words, don't just go one mile, go, what? What? Two miles. Jewish man number one hears that. He, his jaw comes unhinged. It hits the ground. He's going to have to get dirt off his chin. He's digging the wax out of his ears. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did he say what I just think he said? Are you kidding me? Those are traitor words. You Roman sympathizer. And he's done. And like many, he left that day when he heard that. This is a guy working in his garden one day, and a centurion comes along on the dirt road and looks over and says, Hey, Jewish man, get over here. Carry my bag. Well, the Jewish man throws his hoe down, and he picks up that bag, and he half drags and half carries it down that dirt road and he's bumbling things under his breath that I'm certainly not going to repeat here. And, and finally he comes to his peg in the road and he throws the bag down and he turns around and he looks at that Roman and he says, let me tell you something. I'm never going to forget your face. 
And one of these days when my people get out from underneath the yoke of oppression and the Messiah comes to take us away from y'all and get you out of here, I'm going to hunt you down. I'm going to pay you back for what you stinking people have done to us. <laughs> Spits at the man's feet. The Roman picks up his bag and heads on down the road. <laughs> Spits right back thinking, yeah, you people are sorry. You're no good. You're, no, you're not worth being a flea on a dog's back. You're just like what I've heard you're like. Well, the Jewish man goes back and picks up his hoe. Have you ever tried to work when you're super angry? You just can't get it done, can you? He breaks his hoe. Now he's got to go home early. He's got to come back, do his work, get a new hoe. He goes home, and he goes through the white picket fence. He's still so mad, he slams it, breaks the hinge. Now he's got to go to Lowe's at Jerusalem. He's got to have to buy a hinge. He's got to fix the hinge. Now, there's two little kids, a little boy and a little girl, are playing on the swing set. <gasps> Daddy's home, and they run over and throw themselves around each leg, and he kind of brushes them off. Just, I, I, I'm tired. i got to go in. I just, Y'all go play. You're kind of disappointed. He goes into his house and he slams the screen door. Now his wife's there at the kitchen sink and she's washing some lettuce and she's already getting supper ready and she turns and, oh, you're home early. Why do you always nag at me? I, I'm not nagging at you. Yes, you are. You think I never work? No, 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 not at all. Yes, you do. Now, now tell me something. Where is that guy's dog? Huh? Under the table, under the bed. That dog's in the back room under the bed. Why? I'll tell you why. Because nobody likes a one mile. They are no fun to be around. And let me tell you about the second Jewish man who heard Jesus' words. And his jaw drops. Are you kidding me? Whoa, whoa, what did he say? Wait, wait, but those sound like Traitor words. Those sound like Roman sympathizer words, but, but you're the Messiah. Who am I to question you? If you say it's true, then i got to try it. And this is a guy working in his garden one day, and the Roman centurion comes along and says, Jewish man, carry my bag. And he drops his hoe, gets over there, picks up the bag, throws it on his shoulder. He's almost skipping down that road, and he's whistling while he works. All that. And he stops about halfway. And he says, hey, 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 come here. Well, the Roman doesn't get too close. Do you smell it? Take a big whiff. No, come on, just take a big whip. Oh, smell it. And Roman very timidly is like, what? Don't you smell it? It's the rose of Sharon. It's the lily of the valley. My God calls this place the land flowing with milk and honey. And the Roman's thinking, drugs. I got a Jew on drugs. This guy is nuts. Well, on down they go, and he tells, he asks the Roman, would you tell me about Rome? I've always wanted to go to Rome. Uh, is it really true that, that they have gladiatorial combat there? Now, what would a Roman centurion rather talk about than his home city of Rome? And he tells this man about the gladiatorial combats and about the Greek theaters and the bathhouses and about Caesar's palace. He's been there, you know. And finally, he stops the Jewish man. He says, sir, 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 I, I need you to give me my bag back. I, I noticed we passed your peg a ways back. Oh, I don't mind this. Are you kidding me? It's a beautiful day. I need to exercise. I love the company. Tell me more. And off he goes. And the Roman tells him more until finally the Roman centurion literally goes up and stops him by putting his hand on his shoulder and prying the bag away. He said, sir, we've gone a whole second mile. I'm keeping you from your work and you got to support your family. I want to thank you for carrying my bag an extra mile. And the Jewish man said, sir, it was my honor. And if you're ever in the area again, I want you to intentionally come and find me because I want to carry your bag for you. You're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. Probably the first and maybe even the only time it ever happened, but that Roman took off this 
love to extend a gnarled hand, a calloused hand that had been in charge of many a crucifixion crew, maybe even that one. And he shook that Jewish man's hand. And he said, I got to tell you something. I used to think badly about your people, but you've changed my mind. Here's my card. If you ever come to Rome, I'll take a day off and give you a personal tour of the city. And the Jewish man said, sir, I would be honored. Thank you. And they departed with a handshake. The Roman took his bag and went on feeling very served and very happy. The Jewish man went back to work and picked up his hoe. Now, have you ever tried to work while you're super happy? He got it done quickly and efficiently and early. So he goes home early. He sneaks in his white picket fence. His two little kids see him. <gasps> dad! And they run over and throw themselves around each leg. And he does what every good dad will do. He spends the first 10 minutes just wrestling with them and rolling on the ground. And finally, he pats them on the bottom and says, Now, y'all go swing. I need to go kiss your mom. And he sneaks in the house. And she's at the kitchen. And she's washing the lettuce and getting supper ready. And she hears a creak. And then he eases up and puts his arms around her waist. And he kisses her right there on that spot under the ear. That's his favorite spot to kiss her. And she says, Oh, you're home early today. Yeah. You did it again, didn't you? What? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You did it again. I don't know what you're talking about. You do, too. You went the second mile again, didn't you? How do you always know that? Oh, I can just tell. Where's the dog? Why? Because everyone loves the second mile. There's so much fun to be around, and they make you feel so good. See, that's the concept that Jesus is trying to lay out here. He's trying to tell you, here's how you run your business. Here's how you live your life. Here's how you operate within your marriage and in raising children and grandchildren. You do whatever's expected in, and then some. It brings out the best in you. Now, here's the P.S. Do y'all remember what that is? This crowd should. We don't do P.S.s in text anymore, right? Now it's all this kind of stuff and speaking it. Back in the day, we would actually write letters with a, a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper, and we'd mail it by putting, I had to lick a stamp, believe it or not, and take it to the post office. And when we'd write that letter, we didn't have the opportunity to edit it, so what we would do is if we thought of something else after we'd signed our name, we added a postscript, didn't we? Did anybody ever do a PPS? What about a PPPS? Sometimes I'd do like a 5PS. Well, here's your postscript for this lesson. Not only does this amazing teaching from Jesus, the concept of going the second mile, bring out the best in you, but it also brings out the best in others. There was a woman that went to a, a Christian lawyer and she wanted a divorce. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but there are Christians who are lawyers. And this guy, this guy is like, he's already saved a couple of marriages with a technique. And he said, hey, lady, how would you like a free divorce? What? You know, I'd like a free divorce. I don't have any money. I'm sure not going to get any of that scumbag. So yeah, I'd like a free divorce, but there's a catch in there. And he said, yeah, yeah, there's a, just a catch, but it's not a big deal. So all you got to do is just go home and treat your husband like a king for six weeks, and then I'll give you a free divorce. And she said, I'd rather pay. That scumbag is the worst man God ever put on the face of this earth. He is worth nothing. He's a rotten scum. He is the spawn of Satan. And if, and if God had put him in the garden in place of Adam, we wouldn't have that verse in the Bible that says, and it was good. And so he asked her, now, is it going to hurt your husband if you divorce him right now? No, it ain't going to hurt him. He hates me as bad as I hate him. Well, would you like to hurt him? Well, of course I'd like to hurt him. Then treat him like a king for six weeks for crying out loud. Then drop him like a hot potato. 
And she got this demonic look as understanding sunk in. She shook that man's hand and out she went. Well, six weeks later, knock on the door. Come in. It's her. He just pulls out a big old legal pad. It's got X's all over. You sign where the red X's are. You get a free divorce. She pushed it back. Lady, you need to sign if you want this divorce. I don't want a divorce. You are married to the most low-down, rotten scoundrel of man to God ever. You better quit talking about my husband like that. I just don't understand you. Oh, just shut up a minute and I'll tell you. I did what you said. I went home. I cleaned that house like it hadn't been cleaned in 10 years. I, all those trails are gone now, and you can actually see the carpet. I took that bathrobe that has 17 holes in it, went to Walmart, bought a brand new robe. I would get up in the morning and brush my teeth. I actually put makeup on. I, I would cook his favorite meals. You know, by the third week, I think the man actually noticed. He came home at the end of the third week. You're not going to believe what he did. On a Friday, he took a shower, and he came down and sat in the next room. We didn't talk, but he at least was sitting there. And I would bring him his paper and his slippers, and I was just treating him like a king, like you said do, and you're not going to believe on the fourth week what he did. We had a conversation over dinner. And the fifth week, he invited me out. We went back to the same restaurant on that Friday night where we had gone so many years before he had proposed to me. We had that single rose, which used to be the sign of our love, and he had this guy with a violin come and play that song that we loved so much. And I'm going to be honest with you, we fell in love with each other all over again that night. And the maitre d' had to come and make us leave at about 10.30 because we didn't even realize everyone else had left, and they closed 30 minutes ago. And this week, the sixth week, got a knock on the door and he had sent me a dozen roses, long stem. And there was a note that said, would you like to go on a second honeymoon? And it had cruise tickets. I don't want a divorce and neither does my husband. I love him and he loves me. Now let me clarify something. It doesn't always work that way. There may be someone in this room that went the second time, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and it just didn't work out. God bless you. I'm sorry. You did the right thing. Because whether they accept it or not, or whether it changes anything or not, it's still never wrong to do right. All right? And that's the right way to live. But as a general rule, just like a proverb, it will not only bring out the best in you, it will also bring out the best in others. So my challenge to you as you're about to launch and go to your businesses or whatever it is that's on your schedule for this day is to go out not as a one-miler who sees law and he sees life as a got-to, but go out as a second-miler who sees law as love. And it's not a got-to, it's a what? Get-to. So in other words... Do whatever is expected of you. Now you finish it. And then some. Let's pray. Father, help us to be second milers. It's not always easy. We have to forgive a lot, just like you forgive us a lot. So help us to love people like you love us as best we can. And Lord, for some of us, we need to, to make some changes, but we're going to ask you to do that, to give us a mind and a heart transplant and to help us to see in a different way and live in a different way and be better husbands, better fathers, just in all of our relationships, including the ones with our dogs. Help us to be better dog owners. Just help us to follow Jesus and his teaching, how incredibly radical it might be, and change this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I appreciate you guys letting me be here very much. Thank you. I brought, I brought 10 books.
if you don't allow a shameless plug, this is a book for men. It's a devotional book related to the outdoors. And I have a new novel for children. Uh, and it's uh, for 7 to 12-year-olds. It's called The Legend of Indian Rock Cave, and it teaches the way of the cross. So these are some Christmas gifts if you want them. I'll throw them on the table, and it's an honor system. Just, just put yourself in the back. Awesome message, Jimmy. Well done. Well done. One that we can all use. I appreciate you. Let's give him another round of applause. Gentlemen, when you leave here today, know that you're loved and that you're cared for and that you care for each other it makes it all the more special. I love that. I love that about this group. So as you leave today, again, um, if you'd like to see Pam uh, for one of our AMH Cares, uh, these all came from Boys and Girls Club, Grace Works, and a couple other agencies that sent us some folks that uh, needed some meals. So if you'd like to uh, participate, uh, you can see Pam and she'll take care of you. Uh, let's close in prayer. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful time that we've had together this morning. I thank you, Lord, that uh, the message resonates. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we take it from these walls, Father God, and we create a ripple effect in the kingdom broadens today. Love you. God bless you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, Becca Stevens, Becca's with us in two weeks. Yeah, Becca Stevens will be here in two weeks, so be sure to be here. It's a special time.